Michael Osborne here, and I'm speaking with Kate Galliet. She's the creator of Fit for Real Life, where she brings together body, mind, and movement to help people become highly charged and fit for real life. She coaches clients in person, online, and through her foundational strength mobility program, The Unbreakable Body. Her book, The Movement Manifesto, has helped people around the world become better caretakers of their bodies. She holds a BS in exercise science and has worked as a fitness professional for 14 years. Hey, Don Kate. I'm good. How are you today? Good, good. It's great to have you on. I'm a big fan of your work. Um, and before we jump into your work, per se, especially your new book, The Movement Manifesto, can you tell us a little about your background and what led you to mindful movement and fitness? Absolutely. It's my pleasure. And it's such a pleasure to be here with you and your listeners today because I love talking about stuff that I'm passionate about and having really great, interesting conversation is also something I'm passionate about. So this is like two birds, one stone. Um, I, yeah, I started in fitness, um, this was a kid who was like running around on like, he had a huge property in a farm that kind of took care of on the side of the, the property and was running around countries and road bikes and he a super active little kid. And um, so I always knew from a young age, like, wow, I want to help people in some way. I also like moving around and, you know, I didn't know health or fitness. Because when you're a kid, you don't. You just go, you know, you go play, you go do. That's just what you do. There is no, like, workout time, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I always knew I wanted to help people, but uh, that originally only looked like doctor because I didn't know anything else, right? When you're a kid, you know, doctor, firefighter, policeman, that sort of thing. Um, and then I met organic chemistry in high school, and I was like, oh, well, I, I, no thanks. I'm not interested in the doctor route if I have to do a lot more of this. Um, and that's when I learned about physical therapy. And I was like, oh, that's cool. It's kind of neat how they help people who are injured or broken in some way. Um, and so I started uh, heading off towards college for that. And, of course, along the way, like a lot of people, it's a uh, organized sports and unorganized uh, roughhouse playing as a kid activity um, and loved all of it, um, naturally. Uh, but when I got to college, they thankfully made us do two internships our, our junior year, third year of school. And both had to be unpaid, so that's great. You're doing grub work, and I think that's a great way to learn stuff because you, you're not in it for the money. Um uh, and one had to be in your field of study that you were hoping to get into after school, and then one needed to be in something totally different. So during that summer, I picked physical therapy, and I found a clinic to go help out at. And then I also picked personal training at a gym that had um, a pool where I was lifeguarding as well. And I thought, that would be neat. I've never seen personal training except, you know, what I see in magazines. Um, and I would do them on the same day. I would work like 6.30 in the morning until lunch at the physical therapy place, and then work after lunch until about 5 or 6 at the personal training um, gym. And that was a great way to really get an understanding of how um, both of those worlds work, because you could juxtapose them right next to each other and go, wow, there's a significant disparity between the two. And that was the best thing that ever happened to me, because it became immediately apparent that I just was not right for physical therapy. There's so much work a physical therapist does, and that's all super great and super cool, but it absolutely did not jive with what I wanted to do. Um, to me, personal training was more dynamic. I was able to pick people up um, from that baseline of, like, physical therapists had gotten them back up to baseline and moving, uh, but then I was able to take them beyond that and take them to the next big thing they wanted to do, whether that was hike a mountain or run a marathon or be an adventure athlete. These were the types of clients that I started attracting once I became a trainer. 
um, that was super neat to me, and I could be in control of the programming and how I set things up. And so I was really glad I did that because I knew physical therapy wasn't right for me, and I started exploring training more. In my senior year, I got my first certification and got a job um, at a gym off campus and started shadowing and watching and really felt like this, this is exactly where I belong. Um, over the span of a few years, though, it became apparent to me that while I was quite successful as a coach and trainer and I was loving helping people meet their goals and break through hurdles they'd never broken through before, um, my ability to help was limited by the number of hours per day I wanted to work. And the reality was I couldn't work 15 or 16 hours a day because the quality of my service would downgrade the longer I worked because I was getting tired, right? And that's when I started thinking about writing online and writing coaching programs that people could buy around the world and someday writing a book, which has now become a, a reality in my world. Um, because those are all things that I don't have to be there physically in the moment to help uh, uh, deliver them in terms of service. And so now I've taken this whole coaching thing for myself and created a variety of outstreams so that people can pick it up wherever they need it. And while I can work with people in person and online one-on-one, I also can help people who I would never get to who are on the other side of the world in a totally different time zone. And that's where I've led myself to today, um, having these programs and books and, and so much writing and interacting online. Um, I feel so grateful that we have an online world that we can live in to do that, even though it brings with it numerous challenges for connectivity and overstimulation and not being mindful. Uh, it does allow me to help people clear the hurdles in their life and be really intentional with the kind of life they're living. You know, so I appreciate it. Yeah, um, both in the introduction to you, you just mentioned your unbreakable body, your mobility and strength training program, which you do online. Uh, I'll actually like you to tell us a little bit more about that program. But before you do, you know, as someone who's um, shadowed a PT and uh, also been a personal trainer, uh, retrospectively, what do you see as the limitations in both the PT paradigm, for, you know, from your newfound knowledge of having worked mm-hmm. in the field for 14 years, and even the limitations of the personal training paradigm? Absolutely. Well, and there are definitely um, limitations to both. Um, and physical therapy has gone through a radical shift over the last couple of years. Uh, one, they require a ton more schooling now, um, which is both good and bad. It depends on what kind of schooling the person is getting, right? Um, what I found challenging for the longest time with physical, physical therapy was um, everything seemed like outdated, and we were getting more and more knowledge about uh, when to use ice and when not to, um, using neural control drills to help regain joint range of motion and mobility. I was able to study and read this online just by being an explorer of movement and going, hmm, I'm curious as to why that's a possibility. Let me go look up some other smart people who are talking about it and then try it out on myself and see if it works. I, I would get clients from physical therapy clinics who I was surprised they hadn't done a lot of these things already. And, of course, that's not all clinics, right? Not every hairdresser is the same quality. Not every doctor is the same quality. So, of course, clinics independent. But um, I found it was one of the things that they, they had to discharge them at a certain point if insurance would cover them. And they could only do certain things based on what the person's insurance could do for them. And once they got back to baseline, that was it. It was time to leave physical therapy. And I just didn't want that to be the end of my scope of ability to help somebody. Now, the limitation of personal training, though, is you can't do a lot of the things that are hugely helpful that a physical therapist can do because it's against the law. Like, you're not supposed to be doing a lot of the treatments that 
a physical therapist is licensed to do because a personal trainer doesn't have the same licensing that a physical therapist does. And so a smart trainer has to build their network of what physical therapists you know in cities around the country, depending on where you live and work and how you work, uh, that you can refer out to. Who else do you have within your network with massage therapists or uh, if you're in the naturopathic stuff or if you're into functional medicine stuff or whatever. You have to build out your network because there is a limitation of you are not allowed to do these X, Y, and Z treatment protocols because it's not something you're licensed to do. So the smart trainer can become someone who builds their network, and the smart physical therapist hopefully is connecting with a personal trainer as well to get them to somebody who's intelligent to take care of their patients once they've been discharged from physical therapy. Nice. Excellent. Um, so tell us a little about the Unbreakable Body, your mobility and strength training program. Yeah. So it's my pleasure because it's one of my favorite things in the world because it's through some of the people who help. So I, I knew I never wanted to make a program that was a strict template um, because so much of my in-person coaching was really a, a looking at exactly what that person is showing up as today, where their limitations are, where their areas for opportunity are, what they're already doing really well and how we can capitalize on that. And I sort of wanted to create something that customized to the person. Uh, but I didn't know how to do that years and years ago. And thankfully, over the last few years, this thing grew into a reality where uh, when somebody becomes a member of the Unbreakable Body, which is truly a foundational strength and mobility program, um, it's not meant to be a program that gives you your one-arm handstand, but it certainly could be the program that keeps you injury resistant while you train for that one-arm handstand. Um, it's it's meant to meet you where you need to be met. And so the first thing you do is take an assessment that I created for the program. And based on your data that you input into the, the computer uh, for your assessment, there's a, a whole algorithmic back-end thing that happens, and you are then given a customized 12-week program based on the six pillars of an unbreakable body. And those six pillars are from the ground up. Strong feet, strong glutes, hip stability, strong torso, postural strength, and scapular stability, and give programming to help you make all of those areas as mobile and durable and strong as you might need them to be. And based on that assessment, you'll get various levels of programming for each of those six pillars, and then be advanced forward over the course of 12 weeks. Um, at the end of 12 weeks, somebody can reassess and get a new program. And so I really like how it can grow with you based on where you're at in your sports season or if you're brand new to exercise after a debilitating um, disease that might have happened in your life uh, or an accident of some kind, uh, or picking up and supporting somebody who already is a high-end athlete but really needs something to kind of round off the edges and make sure that they're covering the gaps that sit out in the perimeter where you tend not to want to look and you go, oh, I'm fine, my shoulders don't hurt, I'm good, I can skip the, that mobility work or the neural control work or whatever. Um, the unbreakable body makes sure that you don't and it fills in all of those little gaps. And truly, you have people who are brand new, um, dealing with debilitating limitations in the program, and we've got people all the way up near the Olympiad um, level who are, you know, using it as supplement to the rest of their strength and conditioning for their actual sport. Um, and that's what I really like about the Unbreakable Body, because I don't, I don't want everyone to feel like they have to fit into a template because none of us fit in a template. And it gives you the faith to not have to fit something that, that doesn't actually fit you. That's great that it's so individualized and stage-based. A question for you. You know, you mentioned working with athletes, all the way up to Olympic athletes, and then I'm guessing you had yeah. guys and gals as you fell off the couch for the first time. Um, with your background in sports, do you find athletes, uh, no matter how good of a quote-unquote shape they are or skilled at their particular sport, 
um, that, that in many cases their movement is quite restricted and limited and leads to a lot of the injuries that they face because of poor kind of well, athletes are really great at hiding their limitations because they've figured out how to get really good at using what they're good at. And so they could have some biomechanical issues. I think I'm thinking of some of my collegiate football players right now. And to get them to do basic movement patterns, so if someone doesn't know what a movement pattern is, it's kind of a way to classify, like, types of movement, like pushing and pulling and rotating and hinging and gait is a pattern. To give them, like, Division One collegiate football players, really simple things like crawling. They can't do it. To give them really simple things like stabilizing themselves um, in their torso while we do some sort of uh, rotation drill or anti-rotation drill, they can't do it. But they can throw a football really far, and they can run really fast, and they can, you know, cut and turn and pivot and all that stuff that a football player has to do. But the reality is what holes they're facing and where their wrists are, their blind spot, as I like to call it, is, is in the fact that they can't handle some of these specific movements, the types of movement, um, movement strategy, and that will bite you in the butt eventually. So where somebody who's brand new to activity might feel clutchy overall and feel like, I just can't do these things, the challenge for the athlete often is avoid the ego trip of, oh, I'm good, I can do all of this, I don't need that other stuff, or I can cheat my way through it. Um, and also being aware that they will subconsciously cheat something and being consciously focused on not doing that. So I often have my folks take videos of themselves and send them over to me, and then I'll doctor them up with screenshots and stuff to show them, like, see, this is where your shoulder was when you started. This is where it is now. That shows us that instead of doing what you're supposed to be doing, you moved your shoulders in a way that wasn't part of the movement we were going for. And that's why the conscious controlled environment time of training is so important, whether you're a beginner or a high-end athlete. That's your time to really practice doing the right movement for what your body is supposed to be doing. And that way, when you get into the unconscious, uncontrolled environment of the real world, where you just have to respond, you don't have time to think about it, you will have more of a likelihood of using the better movement pattern as your default movement pattern if you practice it in a conscious controlled environment. You know, it's pretty, it's pretty funny. You, you mentioned crawling. Uh, this last fall, this is now 2016, so 2015, I did uh, five days of training in uh, uh, MoveNet. And you start uh-huh. crawling, walking, running, lifting, carrying, and climbing. It's very basic, basic movements. And as skilled as majority of people in our program were, like, you know, they were very athletic, just some of the basic movements proved challenging, including for myself, you know, the, uh, the, some of the crawling exercises. And even the running, like I discovered in that in that running exercise, that I don't run right. No wonder I have knee problems and ankle problems and all the back problems. And I have to imagine that, you know, you just teaching people back to the basics, it's quite eye-opening for them to realize that, you know, they've been doing it, quote-unquote, wrong based on gravity and, and you know, biomechanics all these years. Now, what What is that like for them, for folks in your program, to kind of have those aha moments? Oh man, it's um, it's, there's some some like, strengthening exercises I have on the program that I routinely hear from people who are like, "Wait, but what? My foot doesn't do that." And I'm like, "Okay, but <laughs> it does, and it did at one time. And unless you're congenitally born with a uh, defect of some kind that disallows it, uh, you actually can do this, and your foot actually can learn how to use these muscles. You just haven't for 40 years. 
Um, and so it can be frustrating. If there's some, um, I've always been good thing, uh, why can't I figure this out, kind of floating around in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but while I, people classify all this stuff as like basic, and it is, um, but the reality is, like, we see basics as, like, you do that first to get it out of the way so you can get to a higher level stuff, right? And I can think of it more as, like, this is your arsenal that you have to draw from. So if your basics aren't good, what are you drawing from? And I'm not super impressed if you can do X, Y, and Z sport really well if you can't rotate without um, training only at one joint. Um, because I know down the road that you are going to have to pay that debt. You cannot get away with subpar movement patterns during your entire life. You'll get away with it for a while, but eventually your body will say, nope, we're done. We're, we're, we're going to deal with this right now. And so I try to help folks um, understand their ego and their beliefs about themselves in a way that they can go, okay, so what I always thought was true may not actually be true, and that's okay, and now I'm going to use all of this information as all that it is, data. It's just data. Okay, so you couldn't do the running drill, whatever they had you do very well. Cool, that's a data point that you now can go, huh, this is a puzzle piece. I wonder how this relates to this other thing. How can I work on this one particular thing? I wouldn't be surprised if also you start to see improvements in your lower body training, whatever you like to do the most, as you start improving your running mechanics, because it all crosses over back and forth. How you run impacts how you squat, impacts how you lunge. Um, and so if we can see it in that way, where we can go, okay, what I knew before was true, may not be, and that's okay. This is all this data. You can move forward with a very inquisitive, wondrous spirit that allows you to get fitter and fitter as you get older and older, which many people think is impossible, but we can prove that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you obviously have an inquisitive spirit, like a deep curiosity, and that's why you've explored these things for many, many years. Um, and in my work as a coach, I find you know, a lot of us have been deconditioned from that curiosity. Inquisitiveness. Now, how do you how do you encourage or open your clients up to be inquisitive, to to be curious, like to, to try to understand how these things actually work in their lives, and be more open to these messages that you're the data points, as you say. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, one thing I really like to do is say I don't know, and be super okay with that. So when you write online as a coach, or when you coach somebody, yes, of course, it's coming to you for your expertise. But here's the reality. Like, someone might say, well, my foot's feeling weird while we do this um, lunch. And I go, okay, well, is it significant pain? Do you need to, you know, are you sure what's broken? I'm like, okay, cool. We've covered all the bases. After that, I don't know why your foot hurts. Let's explore it. And by being able for me as a professional to say, I don't know, let's look it up, um, it allows, like, an open landscape to happen where they can go, oh, so she wants, okay, hmm, she doesn't have the answer for me. Maybe I need to get involved with this process, too. And I highly encourage everybody I work with, whether they're a client or an unbreakable member or somebody I meet on the street, um, to be willing to go, I don't know, is an acceptable answer, provided I follow it up with, let's find out. And then go start doing the That's how I figured out so much of my stuff, right? Um, and then also, too, to um, the initial thing I try to help folks with when we're working one-on-one is to say, okay, the judgments that you feel about how you did or didn't do in the workout today or in the videos that you're sending over to me, you know, they'll pre-qualify. It's like, I know these are terrible looking. And I'll go, no, no, I mean, that's your judgment. I don't have that judgment at all. All I'm seeing is, okay, this is what we see. What we would like to get to seeing is this other thing. Here's where we can work on that. And removing the judgment from it being perfect, whatever that is, right, um, or it being right, whatever that is. 
Um, and once you can get that judgment out of the way, you can go, this is just what it is. And so now I can go, what's next? How do we make it better and get it closer to what we're hoping it'll look like eventually? Those are the two most important things I think need to happen. I don't know. And get rid of the judgment. I like both. Those are awesome.